This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's show, we gab about Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton, touch on the other presidential primary candidates, and crunch some numbers with PolitiFact New Hampshire. I'm Clay Wirestone, a columnist and editor for The Monitor, and I'm glad to welcome our politics editor, Jonathan Van Fleet. Hello, Clay. Uh, Hello to you. And hello again to our political reporter, Casey McDermott. Hello, Clay. Hi there. So, let's start this week uh, with Hillary Clinton, um, the Democratic frontrunner. She was in the state yesterday, held a town hall in Dover. And some of the small kind of scripted earlier events uh, that started out her campaign uh, they've been replaced by a more freewheeling kind of discussion. So, Casey, you were there. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you saw. So, um, this was Hillary Clinton's first New Hampshire town hall, first town hall really anywhere of her uh, bid for president this time around. It took place in Dover City Hall, and she started off actually by noting that Dover has kind of a special place in her heart. Um, given that her, her husband campaigned there, she campaigned there, they both had kind of pivotal moments in each of their campaigns happen in the general vicinity. Um, but the, the event overall was kind of interesting for me as someone who's been to her earlier events in the state and that this was the first opportunity that, at least in front of a broader audience, um, she was opening herself up to kind of unfiltered questions from members of the public. Um, So that was really a grab bag. It was more than a dozen in total. She spoke for more than an hour, um, giving responses on topics that ranged from um, anti-discrimination policies, uh, the space program. She got a question from one woman who was plagued by unwanted uh, telemarketer calls. And at that point, actually, um, Clinton had noted that she, too, had encountered that problem and agreed that it was really annoying. She wasn't quite sure what to tell the woman, but said she would look into it. Um, So there were a lot of kind of, you know, unexpected moments there, as you would find at really any New Hampshire town hall. Um, Another kind of unscripted moment came when uh, Clinton was confronted by several climate activists who had gathered in the room. And I, I spoke with a few of them afterward. And there was a group of them there with 350 Action, which is a climate advocacy group. Um, they all came with some variation of the same question, which was asking Clinton to take a position on whether she would ban fossil fuel extraction on public lands. And uh, one person had asked her this at the beginning of the town hall, and Clinton had responded that, you know, I'm probably not going to give you the answer that you want to hear, but I can't commit to that until we have a solid plan in place um, as a backup, basically, but still reiterated her support for transitioning toward more renewable energy sources, solar, things like that, and, you know, taking an opportunity to hit the Republicans who don't believe in climate change. Um, But later in the town hall, another representative from the same group stood up and said, you know, I was really disappointed by your earlier answer. I don't think you're taking a strong enough stance on this. Does this have something to do with the contributions that your campaign is receiving from the fossil fuel industry? And Clinton said, no, that's not playing into this. And then kind of started to reiterate her earlier stance and said that, listen, there are going to be people who tell you what you want to hear, but I'm trying to tell you, you know, what I believe. And as she was elaborating on that more, 
Um, she was interrupted by several of the activists. Um, they began chanting, act on climate, act on climate. Some of them stood up. And Clinton actually, for her part, remained fairly you know, calm throughout all of this and was very level-headed, didn't lose her cool, didn't go, you know, um, didn't seem to be like visibly tense in the face of this and eventually kind of, you know, got to a point where she could kind of interject and be like, you know, listen, I, I told you I'm going to tell you what I believe. Some people are going to like it. Some people aren't going to like it. And at that point, really, the crowd erupted into really, really loud applause. And Clinton basically had the floor again. So um, speaking with a few people afterward, they said that they thought that she handled that moment pretty well. So um, I think that given that it went relatively smoothly for her, I would not be surprised if we see more town halls in the future. Yeah. And these these climate uh, protesters uh, that or the, the folks that were asking her questions, have they been at other candidates events here in the state, too? Yeah, I actually had talked to um, one of the women who asked her one of the questions at a few different events earlier in the last few weeks they were at an event for John Kasich earlier this week, an event for Martin O'Malley last week. So this is one of many groups that is on the ground here in New Hampshire with the intention of kind of raising visibility around a certain issue. So. Did they re receive responses that they liked any better from any of those other candidates? I, I don't know I that can't. for certain, um, but I know that they were unsatisfied um, with what they heard from Clinton. Sure. It seemed to me that people were anxious for this type of setting for to, to see Hillary Clinton, um, that your own reporting, Casey, seemed to have, you've talked to people who have been waiting to get real questions and FaceTime with the candidate, mm -hmm. as opposed to these events where she kind of drives mm -hmm. by in waves or has these small roundtable mm -hmm. things. So this is her first real chance mm -hmm. to interact with people elbow to elbow mm -hmm. and take questions from the crowd. Yeah, and I think that goes not only for people who might be, you know, diehard supporters of Clinton, but I also, you know, I talked to a handful of people in the audience before the event yesterday who um, said that they were split on whether they were going to support Clinton, and but they were interested nonetheless in hearing what she had to say. Um, and being able to attend a more public event than some of the other ones that she had held earlier. And she did have a big public speech in Concord about a month ago. Um, so this was not her first public event, but it was her first kind of interactive event like this. And your, and your point was, from the sound of it, it sounds mm -hmm. like she, you know, handled herself about as well as anyone could. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, the same could be said for many other candidates who've mm -hmm. done sure. these town halls so far. But I think that, you know... There'd been murmurs that, you know, she had been really guarded at the beginning of her campaign. She was doing these more kind of closed off, limited audience events. So I think that, you know, to the extent that that reflected any kind of concern over the reaction to unexpected incidents that might pop up during this event or unexpected questions and how she would handle herself, um, I would think that the campaign would be you know, relatively uh, fine with how yesterday played out. I mean, certainly my, my impression from seeing her in, in New Hampshire back in 2008 was, I mean, she, she, she had, I mean, this is not a particular area of challenge for her. I think it's just more perhaps that, you know, the, the campaign wants to control the, the rollout, especially given that she doesn't have like a, a cha a ch Bernie Sanders is doing well, but isn't like neck and neck with her necessarily. So. Yeah. And you see this with um, 
you know, I, I'm I'm loath to call anyone a front runner at this point just because it's so far out. But you know, oh, do it! Come on, you know you want to. You know, consider Clinton a front runner for a number of reasons. Um, but the same could be said on the Republican side of someone like you know Jeb Bush, where his his campaign also you know might be wary going into some of these settings. He did a town hall last month. It also went pretty well. He, you know, was very at ease. Um, And I think that, you know, New Hampshire residents, I don't need to tell anyone who's been here for a while that New Hampshire residents like to see these candidates in a more casual setting. And I think that that's definitely what came across with, with when I've seen Jeb, when I've seen Hillary, when I've seen a number of these people. So um, I will note also just to kind of further, you know, uh, explain how kind of personal she tried to make it you know you could tell that she was making an effort to slip in a lot of personal notes in there about being a new grandmother and a friend who had similar challenges to people who were asking her questions and you know a note about how she wanted to be an astronaut when she was little when she was asked about NASA so this was really an opportunity for her to kind of show um a little bit more of a personal side Mm -hmm. um Okay. Well, and uh, of course, that's this is all on the, the blue side of the ledger, but going over to the red side, we've also seen a bunch of GOP candidates uh, be on the ground here in New Hampshire over the last week or so. We've had, uh, at least in, as far as I could see, we had Scott Walker, Donald Trump, Chris Christie, Lindsey Graham have all been here. Uh, for some, like Graham, you know, they're just trying to get on the public's radar at all. Uh, for others, like Walker and Trump, they're kind of fighting for space toward the front of the pack. So, John, tell us a little bit about the state of the race uh, in the GOP camp right now and, and what they're they're working on. Sure. Well, it's interesting to talk about Hillary Clinton's first big town hall in New Hampshire because a lot of the Republican candidate candidates have been holding these types of events for quite some time. You know, Chris Christie, I think, is on his 13th or 14th town hall in New Hampshire. Um, just uh, so Thursday was a really big day in New Hampshire where we had this confluence of candidates. We had Trump in Laconia. We had Scott Walker in Amherst. Chris Christie held one of his town halls in Franklin. Uh, as you said, Lindsey Graham had been in the state most of the week. One of the uh, one of the big events, uh, he went to the Hillsboro uh fairgrounds he also went to the bedford dump shaking hands you know like talk about new hampshire politics right mm-hmm. go to the dump on a saturday morning and hang around because guess transfer what? station yes <laughs> i've been to the bedford dump it's a nice place uh-huh. actually it, the, the, but it's called the transfer station it is true yeah, anyway, but i was go ahead. <laughs> Bedford's trash is nicer than most <laughs> i was going to say um so it's it's a nice place to hang out um but Lindsey Lindsey Graham, you know what a what a classic uh, scene for New Hampshire politics because you know it's it's one of those places where people still get together and hang around and talk about what's going on and all that sort of stuff. He reflected on that actually. One of my colleagues, Ellen Nilsson, did a story on one of his visits on Sunday, which was the day after he went to the transfer station, and he he told a group. I think it was in Hooksett. You know, I thought they were nuts when they told me to go to this place, but he stayed there for an hour and a half had some really great conversations and his quote was something like, you know, you guys take politics like seriously up here. So this was his chance to really see that in action. Well, and of course, Lindsey Graham is also 
good friends with John McCain, who saw him, you know, who has has really gotten some dividends here in New Hampshire in the past by that kind of hands-on retail politics approach. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Lindsey Graham has got some some sage advice from. <laughs> Senator McCain on how to campaign in New Hampshire. I actually asked him that on one of his earlier visits, and he said that uh, Senator McCain basically just told him, you know, just be there, just go over and over and over again. So, mm-hmm. and and uh, talking about you know someone like like Scott Walker, um, I mean, he just announced this last week too, mm-hmm. right? Right. So um, Scott Walker was here. He was one of those who was here Thursday. I wasn't there. My colleague Ali Morris covered his visit. Um, And he didn't do any town halls or any kind of, you know, taking questions from voters. He stopped at a diner. He stopped at a Harley Davidson uh, motorcycle dealer, which is kind of a a big thing for him. He likes his motorcycles. He's made that a a thing in his campaign. I believe that he's going to be riding a motorcycle across parts of Iowa this week as well after he announced his presidential bid. Um, So, yeah, you know, this was another chance for New Hampshire voters to kind of get to know him. He's someone who you've heard a lot of conversation about and a lot of curiosity about. But um, I think Politico had a story earlier this week, and I believe Ali also hit on it in her story, that he hasn't really been here a lot, Um, at least not as much as your Chris Christie's, your Carly Fiorina's, your Lindsey Graham's of the pack. Even Jeb Bush, I think, has been here more than him. Um, so that's led to some skepticism among certain members of the Republican establishment as to, you know, how seriously he's going to prioritize New Hampshire versus somewhere like Iowa that might be more receptive to someone who is as conservative as him, whereas New Hampshire is seen as more moderate. But, um, yeah, it seems like he, he got fairly positive reviews among those who were there. He drew some pretty big crowds. I think he had to give two speeches at one of his events because of the number of people who were there. So... Um, you know, he's really just rubbing up. Right. right now. That was at, at Joey's Diner in Amherst. And there was some speculation of like how many people will show up to see Scott Walker since he hasn't been around. Well, New Hampshire voters kind of turn their back on this guy. If we're vain people, we want <laughs> we want the, the candidates to tell us how great we are. Mm-hmm. And so uh, sure enough, he showed up at the diner and there was so many people packed inside that he had to deliver a speech from the back of a red pickup truck, as Ali Morris pointed out. Um, you know that that was his. You know, he delivered the speech twice, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know he pointed out that he is the Washington outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pointed out a, a lot of the things that he is he's touched upon uh, many times that he doesn't want states to keep sending so much money to Washington. He thinks money should stay at home. People should have, have more control over uh, how their money is spent, mm-hmm. and you know those those themes resonate. Well, and I think there's always this, you know, the kind of the the cliche is that, you know, the social conservatives, the hardcore conservatives go off to Iowa, the moderates come, you know, maybe more libertarian people come to New Hampshire. But, you know, and and while I'm sure there's some of that going on now, you know, I like, you know, someone like I think Ted Cruz or um, Ben Ben Carson, uh, Huckabee Santorum, you know, probably spend more time in Iowa. I get the feeling that it's a very fluid Republican race this year and that the people in New Hampshire are actually really receptive to a really wide range ideologically of candidates. I think really a lot of the New Hampshire Republicans and and undeclared voters, because a lot of them vote in in the Republican primary, um, are really just kind of soaking it up this year. You know, if they have this this smorgasbord of candidates to choose from, then they're really, you know, I think open to seeing as many of them as possible. 
Yeah, it's interesting. These are supposed to be the doldrums of summer, and these these multiple events are drawing hundreds and thousands of people. So I think there's a real recognition that when you go to one of these events, you could be speaking to or shaking hands with the next president of the United States. And there's, you know, 16 or so on the Republican side to choose from now. So there's a there's a, a lot going on. Um, also, Casey, one of the things that came up this last week is um, kind of the setting of one of the first kind of formal it's they're not really calling it a debate they're calling it a candidates forum that's been been set up here in in new hampshire so what's what's going on there right so there actually there was some news on this a few weeks ago and there's been an update to it so basically basically um some people were upset because of fox news's debate criteria they thought it was too limiting and also that it relied too heavily on national poll criteria and in doing so undermined the role of early states like new hampshire and iowa and south carolina so Um, The union leader had announced that they were going to hold their own forum, and that was going to be on the same day of the debate in Cleveland, um, hosted by Fox, that was going to be limited to the top 10 candidates according to the most recent national polls. Um, The union leader announced this week that it was partnering with other newspapers in uh, South Carolina and Iowa um, to host a candidate forum that will be several days ahead of the debate, um, and presumably this allows them to uh, more reason or you know be more successful in attracting a wider number of candidates. Not that they would have you know not been successful otherwise, but just for scheduling purposes, it would have probably been hard for a lot of people to show up to the other one. Um, so right now they have uh, a number of people who have signed on. According to the union leader, that includes John Kasich, Carly Fiorina, Lindsey Graham, George Pataki, Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, Rick Perry, Rick Santorum. Ben Carson, Bobby Jindal, and then Marco Rubio was added in the days um, in the days following their initial announcement. So they're going to have a pretty robust crowd who's there for that forum. It's not technically a sanctioned debate, um, and I'm I'm unclear exactly on what the criteria is there. But this is going to be a conversation and really kind of the first opportunity for people to see all of these candidates or a good portion of these candidates on the same stage side by side. Well, and the debates are just, I mean, in a lot of reasons, in a lot of ways, I think what John is talking about, this big voter interest, I mean, part of that is, is also, you know, kind of being primed by the fact that these candidates know they have to get their names out there. You know, if, if, if your primary, if you're, a, if you're a debate criteria that you place in the top 10 of national polls, that puts a lot of pressure on some of the people towards the bottom there to make sure that they, they're on there or that they get on there. You know, particularly folks like, you know, Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson, who are just, you know, right at the right at the edge. So, and, and there's one guy who I think many of the Republicans, which wasn't part of uh, uh, wasn't so vocal in the pack. And that's that's Donald Trump. You know, here he is. He's he's the one who's criticizing the other Republicans in the field. And he's breaking rule number one. Thou shall not speak ill of another Republican. And he's taken on Jeb Bush anyway, anytime he can any chance he gets. And so uh, there, here he came back to New Hampshire uh, after the national polls said he was the leader of the pack and, you know, had this rally on the shores of Lake Winnipesaukee and people packed, came to see him. It was like, you know, they're screaming and chanting and it was like, you know, going to see kind of a rock concert sort of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, you know, that's an interesting dynamic in this race as well. 
Well, I mean, and I think, you know, it's it's one of those situations where there's a lot of coverage of, of Trump initially, you know, when he was seen as kind of a novelty. And then as it's become clear that there is actually, uh, you know, at least right now, a, a relatively large number of people who are willing to vote for him, at least, who, or at least say they will vote for him. You know, I think there's a there's an interesting question for the news media and just, you know, how do we deal with him now? You know, I mean, he's not necessarily any more uh, rehearsed in terms of like having detailed policy proposals, but he's he's clearly, you know, a, a top choice for a lot of people. There was actually an interesting debate that was playing out on Twitter, actually, just earlier today. Um, the Huffington Post had decided that they're going to move their coverage of Donald Trump to their entertainment vertical. Um, and it was actually a, a really interesting kind of journalism discussion between different reporters who are watching this in that, you know, is that really a responsible decision when you do have so many people who are responding to him as a candidate, you know, but then there are others who are saying, well, that's the role of an editor and that's an editorial decision that a news outlet is entitled to make. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a discussion that we've had in this newsroom and I'm sure it's a discussion that other newsrooms have, have had as well because, you know, you want to accurately reflect the news, but, you know, you also, you know, you, 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 there is that gatekeeper function too sometimes. Um, we don't put Vermin Supreme on the front of all of our newspapers. Not <laughs> But Vermin Supreme has not drawn the crowds that Donald Trump well, that's drawing. And that's the point. And he's not worth $10 billion last time I checked. Right. Although that $10 billion does include, to be fair, a, 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 an, a, a, an estimate of $3 billion worth of the, to the, the, the Trump name alone. Mm -hmm. The brand is supposed to, be, supposed to be worth that. What I find interesting, and I think if you look at the, the kind of the two shooting stars, if you will, on both sides, Trump and Bernie Sanders, uh, I think an argument could be made that they're both being... Uh, buoyed some of their their fuel here is people who are genuinely disenchanted with the status quo and so it doesn't matter which party you're in you are attracted to someone who's talking a little bit differently that isn't saying the same old stuff and so here you've got you know bernie sanders saying some really bold and very uh, strong things and, and similarly you know you got trump just saying some really loud things and people are like wow okay i like that i like someone who's talking differently to me i think washington dc is broken and this is this is what i want to hear and so people are attracted to that i think it'd be interesting actually to know how many you know voters in new hampshire you know are like i like either trump or bernie sanders i, I bet there's a quite a few i i haven't heard that combination <laughs> yet um i have heard uh Bernie Sanders and Rand Paul, which is kind of similarly, you know, Rand Paul casts himself as a, you know, not a Washington insider, um, you know, more, you know, down to earth and more in touch with, you know, liberty and individual rights and things like that. And, um, you know, I've, I've spoken with a few people who said, you know, both of them, I don't really care what party, but if you're, you know, if I feel like I can trust you and I feel like you're authentic, then that's what I'm looking for. I mean, that's actually a question, and, I, and um, this is just coming out of, out of thin air. So um, what happened to Rand Paul? Anyway, it feels like he's just not been particularly visible. I don't know that he has been here in a few weeks, and I, I would have to go back and check because I'm not assigned to him um, mm -hmm. closely. But um, he was here a lot early on, and I think he's, I mean, he's built a pretty solid base of supporters, and he has people on the ground here who are working mm -hmm. um, 
to build that. I think within the last week or several weeks, he announced another 50 or so, um, if not more, people who were you know, prominent Republican activists mm-hmm. who were supporting him. So even if he's not physically present here and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, working some other states, uh, there's still some action that's rolling out on the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, before so, we move yes, on, you yes, know, yes, I, I, did, I did want to say, you know, <laughs> we often question uh, whether people are fed up with money in politics. How, how big of a deal is money in politics? And, you know, that we, we evaluate that question. There, there were folks who, who marched from Dixville Notch down to Concord. You know, is that uh, how big of a deal is this? And I think one of Trump's most strongest selling points is when he says, I don't need their money. You know, mm-hmm. they can't buy me. He's one of the ones who buys other politicians. And so <laughs> I think that's validation that people are fed up with the role of money in politics or else that message wouldn't be so effective. Yep. And I, and I have seen people mention that in, in quotes and in stories as, as a reason that they, that they support him. So now attempting to maybe move, move on to our, okay. We all, we all good? We all good? Okay. Another thing about Trump. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, okay. We'll talk for hours. About uh, yeah, apparently like... so. It, yeah, um, he has a way of, of, uh, of insinuating himself into a lot of political discussions, apparently. Um, so let's just uh, check in here real fast with PolitiFact New Hampshire. Uh, PolitiFact checks out statements from politicians and public officials and decides whether they're true, mostly true, mostly false, false, or pants on fire. Uh, John edits the PolitiFact New Hampshire stories, and Casey and I write some of them. So let's look at the latest. So, John, what have we been checking out? Our latest uh, PolitiFact was a statement from Hillary Clinton during one of her, her, her really her first televised national one-on-one interview with CNN. She was asked if there had been a change in her strategy for doing uh, one-on-one interviews. And she said, no, there's really been no change. And she said, I've been doing local press all along the last three months. And so we were like, well, that's that's interesting. We should check that out. Um, we often use just that kind of that curiosity as our guide. Casey looked into it and, um, you know, we, we found out that She's been doing a lot of these local events for the, she announced uh, officially on April 12th. So looking at the first three months of the campaign, there were some events, but there weren't any real, we use the definition of, of doing local press to be one-on-one interviews, sit down, uh, televised um, question and answers, editorial boards, those types of things. So we had to figure out where the benchmark was. And we found that really in the first two months, Casey reported this in the first two months, there weren't a lot of that. In the third month of the campaign, there certainly was a lot of that. And Casey got one of those sit down interviews in New Hampshire. And as a result, the ruling was mostly false. Uh, that's that means that there is a kernel of truth to that. There's an element of truth, but uh, it needed further clarification. Yeah. And so just for a little bit of background on how I tried to look into this, I asked the campaign, um, you know, listen, I want to make sure I'm not missing anything, because when we evaluated this, I, I was mindful of the fact that I'm in New Hampshire. I haven't been following her in her other travels around the country. So I asked for documentation of basically all media availabilities that she had given 
up into up until the point that the statement was made. Um, and I got a list of all of the avails that had been done in New Hampshire um, and all of the well, most of the local press interviews that had been done um, with other states around the country. Um, but I also cross-checked that with pull reports from the traveling Clinton press corps that's been following her around, and then also relied on reporting from, um, in particular, NPR's Tamara Keith had kept track of all, I think it was 13 questions that Hillary Clinton answered from the press during the first month of her campaign. And based on that, the poll reports, um, it it's looked as though those were all done during kind of more, you know, not a one-on-one, not a, an, a traditional kind of interview setting, um, which is what the, as John explained, was kind of the bar that we were using in this. Um, and, you know, I, I will say that since, I think it was June 14th when she started this. Since then, the campaign has really prioritized doing local press for the last month or so, um, doing sit downs with newspapers, radio stations, television stations in Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina, Nevada. Um, but if we're looking at the statement in totality, um, the quote was, I did local press all along the last three months. Um, it wasn't the last three months. It was mostly the, the final month. So, And um, those rulings are always uh, always controversial, some more than others. And that's, you know, that's a, a yeah. consequence of making the call. That's right. Um, and then I guess we, the, the other one that we're working on is something that's in progress uh, in terms of the politifacts. That fact check would be the one that I'm doing, the one that you are doing, Clay. And (laughs) and that is a statement by Kelly Ayotte that was first reported by Casey in which Kelly Ayotte um, weighs the amount of deficit or compares the, the national deficit in terms of gallons of maple syrup. And I, I don't want to spoil where that one's heading, but uh, I think you hit the sweet spot. On that oh, one, oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> so um, just looking ahead into the next week, um, Casey and John, wondering if you're looking forward to anything in particular, anything that you think might happen in the ever busy world of New Hampshire politics, even in the slow summer months? Well, I think it's shaping up to be yet another busy week. Um, The one thing that I will be interested in is, uh, I I think I said this last week too, um, but it's just like, you know, this particular candidate has kind of been building and building and building, and now he's finally going to jump in. Um, So Ohio Governor John Kasich will be back next week. He's making a a special announcement um, at the beginning of the week and will head straight to New Hampshire uh, for a series of town halls around the state over a period of several days. He held his first New Hampshire town hall earlier this week, um, and he's going to be back for more. He's kind of a, I, I think I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but really, you know, casting himself as a kind of salt of the earth. I'm going to tell you what I think. This seems to be a familiar line along a, from a lot of a lot of the candidates on both sides. It's kind of the tell it like it is primary. But, um, you know, he's going to be back for more of that next week. And I think that he's not picking up a lot of traction in the polls. But among the people who are kind of, you know, influencers in the New Hampshire Republican Party, there's a lot of interest around him. And, and uh, John? Well, I, I'd like to point out that this week we launched 
the political monitor and we have been cranking out so much political news that we decided to put it all in one place that it was easy mm -hmm. for people to understand and find and it's well organized you know the intent there is to provide context and clarity and um you know i, I think I, I there's i was surprised at the volume of political news that we're cranking out once i saw it in one place. Mm -hmm. um, I also would like to say, like last week, we looked at kind of the the Trump Trump Palooza, the the mm -hmm. Trump mania that's going on, and and this week we're taking a look at the same sort of momentum that Bernie Sanders has on the Democratic side, and and we're going to examine that that dynamic that I was talking about a little bit earlier about why these two candidates are are faring so well at this point in the game. Okay, and the the website, just in case people wanna want to want to find it, is politics.conqueredmonitor.com. Correct. So, uh, and with that, I will thank John. Thank you. Thank you, Clay. And Casey, thank you. Always a delight. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you have some music you'd like to hear at the end of this podcast, please send me a note at cwirestone at cmonitor.com. That's cwirestone at cmonitor.com. And in case you missed it, that address for our new political monitor site is politics.conqueredmonitor.com. We'll see you there, and we'll see you next week.